Leaving Neverland. I just saw it the other day, and I have to say, I am a little disturbed. And when I say a little disturbed, I mean a lot disturbed. I mean, I really have to reevaluate my relationship with the King of Pop. You know what I mean? Guys, check it out. It's on Netflix now, and um, let me know what you think. Let me know what you think. You can find me on uh, Instagram, uh, instagram.com slash basilmeets or at basilmeets. Uh, Twitter, at Basil Anabtawi, that's A-N-A-B-T-A-W-I, or Facebook, facebook.com slash basilmeets. All right, so today I am talking to my friend Elisa Freja. She's been on the podcast before, and she's making her return. And uh, today we talk about media, uh, the media business, we talk about leaving Neverland, and we talk about a bunch of other things. Elisa is always a great guest to have. She is the founder of Womina. I really enjoy talking to her. She's always a great guest to have. And uh, without further ado, enjoy this show. Here we go. It's picking you up. We're good. We're live. Yes. Uh, Brendan, you good? Woo! Yeah. We're back. We're back. You know why I say we're back? It's because we're back with Elisa Freja. Yes. Because, Phenomenal pronunciation of my name. Right? Because you know what? Do you know why I say it that way? Because I was just listening to your episode with uh, Millennial Mirrors. You yes. just had an episode with shout out to uh, Finial Media and Bashari and everybody and who was on that podcast. Yes. So I was just listening to that and Sheikh you Al-Qasmi. and Sheikh Al Qasmi, exactly. Shout out to Sheikh Al Qasmi. And you've introduced yourself as that. So I was like, this is the right way she pronounces her name. So that's how I'm going to say her name. You know, I was also on your podcast before. How did you yes. pronounce my name back then? You know what? I said Freha. That's it. You said it with the Arabic. So, so both works, I guess. Yeah, depending on who your audience is. For the Arabs, it's, it's Freha. You know what? Equality. Yeah. That's what I say. Everybody. You're Arab, you're non Arab. If you want my full name, it's Elisa Basimo. Really? Fun fact. It's Did one very long word. Whoa, what? <laughs> that is, I just, like, you blew my mind right there. I was like, what? Who's Basima? Is that your second name? It's like my, the second half of my first name. What? Yeah. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Can we please just stop here? Yeah. And... It's difficult when I grew up in the West to have a very Arab name. Okay. Um, so Elisa Basima was very, like, fancy. So, so Elisa hyphen Basima, is that yeah. what it is? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Can I refer to you as Basima for the rest of the podcast, or um, are we not doing that? I'd rather not. I'd rather not? I'm okay, not, cool. Basima, for those who know, means, um, or for those who don't know, means always smiling. Okay. And so, That's it, right. I am very much... You are very much a smiling... Representative of person. my name. Yes. Yeah. And my uh, father's name is Bassam, okay. so also smiling. My oh. grandfather's name is Saeed, so happy. Dude. And uh, my last name is Freha, which comes from Farah. Well, Elisa, I, I needed to to get closer a little bit to the microphone. I can totally do that. Yeah, there you go. Because you know, um, this microphones, these microphones are not not fantastic. They're not that sensitive. Well, mine is. I don't know about yours. Mm. I, 
I think I just have a very loud voice. Anyway, Elisa, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm glad that you're back on the podcast. It's been a while. Yes, it's been a year, a little over a year. It's been a little over a year, and uh, and that episode was really cool. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was also. one of my favorite. It was um, such a refreshing podcast episode because we actually have just a real authentic conversation and I kind of lost myself in that conversation with you which I really appreciated because a lot of times interviews or even some podcasts you end up just repeating the same script right. of what you're doing where you want to go um, but what we were able to do is really get to the root of a lot of deep uh, important elements um, that mean a lot to me. So I was really happy to be able to open up about that. And I would love to get more into it and just sort of pick up from where we are. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to give up a little pause here because I don't see you on, on the mic. Woo, and we're back. Sorry, we're guys. Back. We, yeah, we had a little, a little bit of a glitch. So uh, I'm adamant on not. Um, you know, you can cut this out. I will not cut anything from this podcast. This is genuine. This is You're going to make your uncut. listeners wait through like yeah, five let them minutes wait. of your technical difficulties. Let them wait and let them listen. They appreciate the honesty and the genuinity of this podcast. Maybe the video viewers can do a little <laughs> bit of that. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, so I was watching um, Leaving Neverland. Have you watched that? No. You haven't watched that? On purpose. Have you watched? Do, are you a Michael Jackson fan? I am so conflicted mm. that I... I am almost being an ostrich right now and burying my head in the sand. Right. Because um, I've heard very strong arguments from people who have watched the documentary for and against the entire argument. And it's right. always been the case. Um, and so I've chosen not to watch it. My sister is a mega Michael Jackson fan. Okay. So I would never want to upset her. With any sort of convict, like conflicting viewpoint that I may develop, so I'm choosing to stay out of this to one. To stay out of this one. <laughs> However, because I am a Michael Jackson music fan, the conflict is real. Right. And actually, I'm going to check on my phone right now because I want to give you the exact dates. Please. But I found it's live podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. It is a live <laughs> podcast, and this usually takes time. But I ha I found a loophole. And the loophole is um, that if you're feeling conflicted, you can basically look at the years before he started acting in this strange way uh -huh. and only accept and listen to the music that was made when he was Normal. not acting out. If you believe that he was guilty, but you still don't know how to process his music. So essentially... Um, you should look at music that was made before 1994. Okay. Okay. That okay. section of his catalog is indemnified against the allegations that have complicated his legacy. Okay. That okay. is my phrasing. Did your sister send you that? No. <laughs> okay. This was a long debate I had on Instagram with a friend of mine. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, and that was it. It's like any Michael Jackson music pre-1994 is acceptable to listen to. But any music post-1994, if you're feeling conflicted, you can avoid. Well, I have to uh, burst your friend's bubble. No! Because in 1993, Michael Jackson was sued, right, for sexual allegations against, uh, like, kids. So I think that was 93, if I'm not mistaken. I, don't know, I could be wrong. But anyway, I watched the documentary. Okay. And, you know, 
Like I, you know, you have to understand. I was a huge Michael Jackson fan when I was a kid. Like huge Michael yeah, Jackson. I think fan. everybody. Had I think was. everyone was like it was such a part of our childhood growing mm-hmm. up. Um, and you know, I had like I, I cut out Michael Jackson pictures, put them in jars, and yeah, it was such a big deal you for put, me. I'm so sorry. What you yeah, cut yeah. out the. Michael Jackson pictures and put them in jars? Yeah, I, I can understand why that out of context sweet, like sounds very strange. Jar? Yeah, almost. Well, actually, chocolate milk jars. So it's very strange. Um, okay, Basil, nobody understands because, like, obviously they didn't I live with you in the same house. I think we need to get house. to know Basil a little <laughs> a, bit more for once. As a younger... So you let's know. understand why you right. spent your spare time cutting out pictures well, and putting I was them a in huge, jars. I was a huge fan of Michael Jackson. Like mm-hmm. a huge fan. So like every time in a magazine I found a picture of Michael Jackson, I'd cut it out and I'd collect that picture. And as a, you know, as a nine-year-old kid or a seven-year-old kid, I used to put it in a jar so I can, you know, just keep it in a safe place. Like okay, that's where all my... preserve it. Yeah, preserve Michael Jackson. Like jam. Like, like jam, like the song. Like the song. <laughs> like, yeah, there you go. That's amazing. That makes sense. So, um, so anyway... Um, <laughs> And I was so like, I was like, no way, I'm not going to watch that documentary. Like, there's no way. Like, he was like he was acquitted, right? He was acquitted of all charges back in 2009 or whatever it was. After being directly accused by the people that are in the documentary. That's right. Who were also in court and testified. That's, you know, that's exactly right. You and know were what? very much grown adults when they did testify. That's the true. They you were said? 25 years Even old. Even though you haven't watched the documentary, you know so much about it. I know a lot about it because I'm conflicted. Right. So that's exactly it. And I was like, no, no, no way. And, and, you know, I was watching it. My wife was watching it too. And I was just like, just a, minute after minute, I'm like, oh my God, is this, did this really happen? Like, <laughs> I can't, I please, no. Like, and it became so graphic and it became like, I just like, my, my image of Michael Jackson started shattering, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, that was really sad. And then I started thinking that maybe these guys came out because of our time today, right? It's very different. Like, you know, the Me Too movement had just, kicked off a couple of years ago and uh, and everybody was coming out, right? Everybody was coming out against like allegations of sexual People assault and definitely way more empowered nowadays to speak up against sexual assault and harassment. Yeah. Men and women, lifted. right? Like it's yes. it's it's interesting. Start obviously it's a very much a, a women movement, but then you have Ted Cruz well Ted Cruz, what was his name? Um not Ted Cruz, a politician. Uh, <laughs> not him for sure. Anyway, uh, just a bunch of males and females coming out to talk about this thing. And then that's what got me to think about this. Like these guys also thought this was the right time for them to come out and say something because they felt the time was right. People will believe them. You know, that's... Uh, Even though when they were in court on the stand yeah. at 25 years old. Again, I have not seen it. I'm just providing both sides of the argument. I know, so, I know. Even though I just said what I said, so which I think is a 25-year-old man, grown man, who's in court testifying against Michael Jackson, for example, who claims that he was never sexually assaulted, then does a documentary and claims the opposite, which to me seems pretty sketchy. I also saw a body language expert uh-huh. um, assess their body language, and she claimed that one of the victims in, alleged victims, but victims, in the documentary, um, through his body language, was very much honest about having experienced sexual assault. Really? So that, that was like the opinion of a body language expert. I then heard that Oprah went out of her way to investigate the building of this tunnel, this like train tunnel. Train tunnel? There's like a thing, there's like a secret passage tunnel that okay. they talk about in the documentary. Okay, uh, maybe I was, maybe that's the point where I was on my phone. Uh, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Um, but 
that there was there was discrepancies in what he had that was really sketchy and the fact that that wasn't actually built till after the allegations were made right or the alleged allegations took place or whatever um anyway there's a lot of opposing sides i'm sitting here in the middle um and i don't want to get involved in it because i'm a very much a peace and love and flower child person right <laughs> and and you know i'll tell you something a friend of mine um, who you know, and I hope you'll have on the podcast very soon, William Malali. Yeah, well, I'm trying. You know, can we just give him a shout out, please? William, you, get on this podcast. Can you please come on the podcast. He's Jeez, an incredible <laughs> film and television critic and a writer. Um, and he recently hosted a panel mm-hmm. at Cinema Akil, one of the independent cinemas here in Dubai. Yeah, that uh, showed Leaving Neverland, and he hosted a panel, kind of debating this subject, which was so controversial. The second he tweeted out that he was hosting this panel, he started receiving hundreds of death threats and threats of aggression from mega Michael Jackson fans on Twitter. And he's not even stating an opinion. He's just stating that he's moderating a discussion that's that's happening. So the the emotions behind this argument are so strong. um, I'd rather stay out of them, personally. Also, you know... Unfortunately, like, what can we do about it? Because the the man's gone. Right. Yeah. Um, so we can't really act out, and it's and it's not fair on his kids, his own children, for example, to start boycotting his music if they're benefiting from the financial elements. Like, it's a it's a it's a bit weird. It's like a very delicate place. Right. Um, whereas a lot of people compare this to the R. Kelly controversy, which is just the horrible, still active, clearly guilty. Um, of a lot of horrible things and and still getting played on the radio here in Dubai. Like, I heard right. it played on the radio. I believe I Can Fly came on like three days ago and I went, really, guys? I can fly. <laughs> <laughs> like, break down on the car. Um, well, look, I just find Michael Jackson, like, it's it's, it's interesting because I don't, I don't think there was a personality as big as Michael Jackson, you know what I mean? Like, in terms of uh, musicianship and superstardom and stuff like that. So I think it's very difficult for people to separate the man from the musician. You know what I mean? Like I would say, I don't think he had a big personality. You don't think so? I think he had incredible talent. He had big talent. That's true. That's but true. But he was very quiet. He. But maybe, he, he, maybe he, that's he, maybe that's he, part he, of what made him so big, right? It's heartbreaking. He was mysterious. Like who is that man who doesn't? Like he he isn't very much. He doesn't speak much. He. He dresses differently. He his hair is different. He moves differently. He sings differently. He totally changed the color of his skin over the changed the years color of, of his, his skin. Yeah, it's it's who is that entity? It became like an entity. You know what I mean? And it was so difficult for people to separate that. It's almost like um, Kit Harrington and Jon Snow. They're not the same person. They're two different people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if that's the right comparison. But anyway, that's you know. I just I thought like it was you're, you're comparing Kit Harrington to Michael Jackson. to Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jon Snow to Michael Jackson, and anyway. But uh, I'll tell bad. you something. Yeah. It, it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking on so many different levels. As fans, being told things like this, whether it's true or not, is, is really like a crushing feeling that breaks this trust and, and kind of shatters your perception of a hero. You know, so many of us idolize this man or right. idolized this man. But... At the same time, it also completely like breaks your heart because those who are fans, who know the way that he grew up and was brought up, know that his 
family were really, really messed up. And his father was really abusive. And him as an individual, he suffered right. a lot. Um, and, and they feel for that. They feel the pain for that. They saw that he wanted to help other people. He wanted to help the world heal. Um, and again, I compare this to somebody like R. Kelly, who also, there's evidence of sexual assault when he was a child, who suffered some very difficult things, but then, you know, chose to act out and not necessarily with the same kind-hearted intention, but just right. very predatorial from the get-go. Yeah, you know, I, I mean... And corrupted. It's, to me, I, I see what you're saying, but if, if these allegations are true, I think that shatters Michael Jackson for me. That, to me, is... And it's I'm, horrible. Of course it shatters Michael Jackson. Yeah, and like, I think after two, four hours of watching, I thought, you know what? The music isn't bigger than this. You know what I mean? Like, the music of Michael Jackson can never be bigger than ruining the lives of two individuals, if true. You know, can I tell you something? I, I just came back from a wedding. Their first dance was Man in the Mirror. Okay, great song. I you, went to another know, wedding. Their song, first but... dance was Butterfly. Like, um, there, there's so many songs that are, that are, there's so many moments that are so meaningful in people's lives that are linked yeah. To Michael Jackson. That's true. And that's what makes it difficult. Maybe to you. That's this is what I'm saying. Why I'm saying I, 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 you're bringing me into this argument, but I'm not taking a side. Sorry, we're gonna end this soon. I promise. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> taking a side, but it's really because I respect. I, I I can understand the fans because I have friends and families that have him tattooed on them. Right. And they they that's how much this person means to them. That this person's music meant to them. Right. He did so much good to so many people through his music. He healed so many people through his music. And you can't really take that away from them. Like, that's heartbreaking to take that away from fans. He didn't do that to me. He didn't, his music hasn't healed me or changed my life. But I enjoy his music. It's yeah. fun music. And it would be sad to not listen to Liberian Girl, which is one of my favorite songs. Liberian or, Girl. Oh my, oh my God, that intro. That is. Yeah. <laughs> I love that song. I yeah. love that song, you know, yeah. but it would be incredibly unfair to do that to them and heartbreaking to do that to them. And so you, to you, the music isn't bigger than that. Maybe to me, the music isn't bigger than that, but to so many millions of people around the world, the music is bigger than that. Right. That's, yeah. It's, it's just so confusing. And frankly, I feel like we have bigger issues on our hands. I think so. I think so. I think, and then that's where we move on to other things. And Elisa always, <laughs> always like, always impassioned, and you always have good arguments. And you know what? It's always it always makes for a good conversation. So uh, tell me what you've been up to. So momentum, you've been doing that for this is this is. I mean, the first time we spoke, you hadn't even launched the series, and now you finished the series. And uh, just to build some context, this is the, uh, if people had listened to the first one, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm lecturing. If you had listened to the first episode, that's not what I mean. totally do. Yeah. Published, I think, April 4th, April yeah. 14th. Like a request. 2018. Yeah, like a request. Like, hey, if you guys want to listen to it, it's a good episode. Uh, but anyway, um, so yeah, you you back then talked about um, launching uh the the accelerator uh, and you wanted to film it as a series uh, and having people in Dubai and Berlin and you had all these startups who were competing with each other 
Uh, yeah, so and I saw a lot of that stuff on YouTube. I saw a lot of that stuff on Facebook, and it was absolutely uh, well done. Uh, it's super, uh, you know, the, the storytelling was great. Uh, the production element was fantastic. Um, you guys you. were rocking it in it. Like, you guys all looked good. You guys all had really strong plot lines. So, you tell big me. up to the Momentum production team and the Wamina team. Yeah, honestly. For making it happen. Really, really, really well done, guys. Um, it was crazy. How was that experience for you? Um, look, honestly, Basil, last time I spoke to you, we had, we were a month off. We were a month into a new strategy for Womina. Right. So essentially we were purely an investment platform for three years. And then the business model wasn't really working for us. And the team felt like we could do so much more for the community. So we started re-strategizing and restructuring the business. And it was a really scary time. And we had these dreams. What's crazy is that when I spoke to you last time, I was like, yeah, I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this, 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 this. And it's not just that I'm launching an accelerator and I want to film it for a documentary series. It's that I'm launching an accelerator that's in two cities simultaneously and that's taking participants from 14 countries and that's going to be filmed over 50 days with the smallest budget imaginable, with a crew that's never really done anything like this before, um, and that we want to get millions of views and we want to be able to tell the story like it's never been done. And we're actually helping entrepreneurs. Like, we wanted to do so much. Right. Dude, what's nuts is that we actually did it. I, and it's, like, it's it mind blowing. <laughs> like, yeah, it came through. It's so scary as a founder when you come up with a crazy strategy. And or not even that when you come up with with a dream or an idea that's so basic, and it's 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 immaterial, right? It's non-existent. It's it's literally just a thought. And a year onwards, I that that materialized. It's now a beautiful finished product with this bow on it. We we did the program. We graduated the companies. They got investment. They're making real money, affecting real people. Um, you know, changing real lives and on top of it we filmed the show we edited it we published it the first season is on youtube and facebook and the response was just really exciting for us mm. um and, and like i did something mm. i know this sounds weird but like as a founder you always doubt yourself i think a little bit and yeah no matter how much recognition you can get or support that you can get there's still days that you wake up and you're kind of like what am i doing is it gonna work um I don't know if this, I think I'm, I've gone too far. I shouldn't have done this. And I don't know. It's, what am I even doing with my life? Like that still happened. I had that thought like a week ago, right? right? Those thoughts still creep up. But when I take a step back, it's amazing to me. And it's like, it's the first time in six years that I can really say I'm, I'm really proud of something that my team and I have done. Like, That's awesome. I'm so proud of it. That's and awesome. It's, it's, a, it's one thing. Like I could, I, everything could end tomorrow. And I will have a completed product that is high quality that, you know what it is? I told a story that was not told before. Right. Like, that's crazy to me. It's cool because you did two things, right? You you actually told a story in a really good way and you got companies um, to actually go through accelerators and get investment. Yeah. So you got kind of like the two things and you set out to do these two things and you did them really well. Um, My team yeah. is incredibly overworked. Um, we're all exhausted. There was a point, I think, between January and April where we started thinking, what, what is a weekend? <laughs> what is a day off? Who is a weekend? I'm serious. I had some team members who maybe took one or two days off in three months. 
um, because we also maybe hadn't planned for certain things. We could have compensated in pre-production, for example, but right. we didn't. So we were overwhelmed in post-production and we had a schedule and I made the mistake of tying every element of my company to each other so that if one thing went wrong, everything else would get messed up, mm. which I thought was genius at the time. So I'm like, oh, everything's going to happen at once and it's all going to help each other. Right. And the reality is, Yes, that could happen. But on the other side of the coin, if one thing goes wrong, everything else collapses. Right. Um, so we were just spending the last three months making sure that nothing collapsed. Okay. Um, and it didn't. Knock on wood. Great. Um, yeah. And I just came back from a, just to give you an idea, for example, I just came back from a speaking engagement at MIT mm-hmm. in Boston. Yeah. I saw that on your, on your stories, on your Instagram. Well, that's when I was chatting to you and you were in Boston. We were organizing this podcast. Yeah, we were organizing yeah. this, this repeat. Yeah. Um, and... And I'm walking down the street in on Newbury Street in Boston, which is one of the main kind of shopping streets. And I hear Freha being yelled down the street. And I turn and it's a boy from high school that I haven't seen in 15 years. Damn. Um, I hadn't seen him in 15 years. I had a big crush on him when I was 14 years old. And he looks exactly the same. And I'm like, what? Oh my goodness, like, what, how are you? What are you, what are you doing? He's like, wow, is that you? I, he actually, he started following me again on Instagram recently and then spotted my hair color and spotted it from down the street and thought it was me, called my name out. Anyway, he then tells me, oh my goodness, I'm such a fan of Momentum. I've been following everything you're doing. It's so impressive. It's so important for women in the region. And that day I woke up thinking like, is what I'm doing really important? Like, is it actually making an impact? I mean, being there and talking to MIT, it's kind of like a good push in the right direction, I would say. Well, I was talking in MIT about innovation ecosystems and the future of the cities in the Middle East and how innovation is going to affect them and how diversity is going to affect the innovation. I wasn't necessarily to talk about Wamina or Wamina's role. Right. And I think, again, as a founder, sometimes you, you do have these doubts because your view is so micro, right? So mm. I... When I look at the impact of Momentum, I see numbers and I see stats. I see 22 million impressions, right? I see, whatever, 5 million views or 10 million views. I don't actually process that as individuals. Right. So when I'm confronted with the reality of a person who's actually been affected by the work that my team and I have done, it's, it just takes me aback. And what was crazy was usually if I do get messages, they're usually from young women in the Middle East or from the Middle East who are interested in tech, startups, innovation, motivation, inspiration, business, something. This was a 34-year-old man who's a trauma surgeon, an ER trauma surgeon, who's Native American and French. Okay. His mother is Native American living in France. And he told me that he was so impressed with the videos, they reminded him of his mother. He sent them to his mother. And that she cried. Wow. Because she was so excited for the women of our generation to be able to see a story like this being told. She could have never in her lifetime growing up imagined to see women of diverse cultural backgrounds, women of minorities, right, actually doing amazing innovative things and that it made her just really happy and and excited for the potential of the women in our generation that's and awesome i cried when he told me that damn that's crazy dude that's, that's really I'm cool i'm in my bubble in dubai and this amazing woman that i don't know 
in France whose son, a male, sends, who's a trauma surgeon, not even in the startup space, sends a stir, and she's affected by it. Like, that's crazy network effects. That's, that's really cool. That's, that's something that... That's really cool. Yeah. So despite all, like, my little inner demons that fight every once in a while, I get those little messages that really change. You know, I completely get that. Um, I, you know, again, I think it's, it's very true. Sometimes we get, we look at these numbers, right? And we see, like, for example, I see, like, um, 3,000 people had listened to this episode. And for me, like, when you put that in context of, like, people who are getting a million views, right? For me, it's like, what's 3,000? 3,000 is, like, it's nothing, right? Like, that's when you compare, right? But we don't really understand that 3,000 uh, fills up an auditorium. You know what I mean? That's, that's how many people that is. That's, that's how many individuals have actually put your podcast in their ears and listened to you for one hour. You know, that's, that's, how, that, that's crazy. That's you know what crazy I mean? when you think about it, the that's reality crazy. of it. Yeah, and, and I think the fact when I get a message on Twitter or a private message or whatever, and they say, like, for example, this particular episode really spoke to me. Yeah. Or, um, you know, oh, for example, I had Luz uh, from Cinemaqil. She was uh, on the podcast. Oh, my God, about I've heard her story. She's so incredible. Yeah, her what story. What episode. I love that episode. It touched so many people. Wow. And, and I love that I had, like, women and, you know, messaging me saying, like, they were going to go get checked. And I was like, what? Like, this episode actually had an effect on people, which is nothing. Nothing can can prepare you for the gratitude. You know what I mean? Like that for me is amazing. But the other hand is I agree with your other um, side of the coin, which is, yeah, sometimes you doubt yourself. Like, is this the right thing? Um, Am I doing the right thing? Am I wasting my time? Is this really affecting anyone? Or am I just wasting my time? You know, and I completely get that. That's Mm -hmm. something that these are inner demons that you you almost have to like sometimes snap out of it and keep moving forward, even though sometimes you might feel like you aren't on the path or as fast as you want to be on that path. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or we're not making money as a business, for example. We're not making as much money right. as I would like us to be making for us to be profitable, for example. Or or even to cover all of our costs. Because last year we took a huge gamble. Right. We had no experience as an accelerator. We had no experience as a production company. And yet we completely transitioned our business to a media production company and an accelerator. That's right. Yeah, How? I remember you said. And and there was nobody that was going to put money behind that in theory, right? Once we did it, now we have people knocking on our doors saying, "We want you to make videos with us, or we want you to tell the st- tell your stories, and we want to support you in doing that." So, are you pivoting now towards a, a focus on media? Is that something that you? Yeah. Focused? So, I think originally what I realized was what I stumbled into in forming Wamina was. A, a deeper understanding of where women stand in the world today right. and the imbalances that they face. I need you to get a little bit closer to yeah. that mic. There you go. Because it picks you up. Do you want me to repeat that? No, you sound great. But it's like for the, for the viewers, you know, I mean, the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> um, deeper understanding of where women are at in the world today. And what I didn't realize was the passion that would come out to to really make an impact Mm -hmm. in the advancement of women. Like this was my purpose in life. This is what I found. I found a purpose. I don't know if it's my purpose, like universally or whatever, uh, but it's a purpose Mm -hmm. that I found that I want to dedicate myself to. I've always wanted to work towards equality and choosing gender equality wasn't on my mind, it kind of chose me. I fell into it when I started learning about it. And Wamina, in its original form, was helping women to invest 
in startups. Right. The women were investing. The startups could be men and women, right? And the idea was, I'm empowering women to be investors. They will then invest in companies. Some of those companies may have women founders. There might be a higher percentage of women founders that get funded because you have women investors. I also thought a lot of people were working with women entrepreneurs, which was wrong. But mm-hmm. I assumed it was so obvious that people were doing it. Um, I then said those women who get funded from our investors will become successful. They will then be the role models that this world and this generation needs. Mm. And the world will be a better place, right? right. Whatever. And the prejudices against women are going to change. I was going from... Instead of from A to B, I was going A to L to P to Q to B and then kind of B. But it was like this. It was getting like really like light by the time it got to be like it was getting filtered every time. Okay. What I realized was if my passion is really to change the perceptions of women and the prejudices against women and the perceptions of the Middle East, the easiest way to challenge someone's perception is to just show them the opposite to their prejudice. Mm. If you think all women in the Middle East are covered, you show them women in the Middle East that are not covered. Mm. If you're told that people drive around in the, or go around in the Middle East on camels everywhere, you show them that people drive around in cars. Right. Right? So it's very simple. It's literally A to B directly. Right. So I have a media background. My family's background is in media. And I realized that was the easiest way to do it is if you wanted to change the perception of the masses, the easiest way to do it is to show them the opposite without constructing it. I didn't have to build, I'm not faking an image. I'm just showing them the realities that you and me see Mm. every day around us. Mm. I'm showing them the truth of the female experience, the truth of the Middle Eastern experience, the truth of the millennial experience in this day and age. In a, and I'm showing it to them in their language, short format video content for social media that you can watch this video on your lunch break. Mm. You watch an episode of Momentum when you're on your treadmill. Right. Right. And at no point do we really confront the fact that our, the entrepreneurs that we showcase or the talented women that we showcase are women or are, um, you know, discriminated against because of whatever. We literally just talk about them, their challenges as business owners. We just show this crazy lifestyle of entrepreneurship or of game changers and the struggles that they go through and the sacrifices that they make. And by the way, they happen to be women. And by the way, they happen to be from the Middle East. Mm. And my dream for this content is for it to find its way in front of people who would never have expected to be looking at what they're looking at, to be genuinely interested in the content that they see in front of them without really processing the fact that, oh, wait a minute, I'm, all these companies are led by women and all of them are Middle Eastern or from the Middle East mm. and none of them look alike and some are Muslim and wearing a hijab and some are Muslim and not wearing a hijab and some wear abaya and some wear jeans and some wear a tank top and some wear Balenciaga sneakers and some wear heels and mm. some have companies with men and some don't and, you know, like, and some are tech leads and some are marketing leads. These small little perceptional changes without directly kind of forcing it down their throat. Right. That's my dream. I want some random person in Kansas or in Lithuania who has one image of the Middle East that is not the reality to look at this, to love it, and then to realize, oh, wow, this actually contradicts everything that I've I've thought so far. Maybe I need to re- 
consider my beliefs. And are you feel? Uh, do you think so? Now that you've done that first season and you've had so much reach, and like you're saying just now, you're saying uh, 22 million impressions and and five million views or what have you. Do you is that something that you want to expand in terms of media, like a media company? Like, okay, so maybe Wamina needs to move it towards a media corporation that tells these type of stories. Is that where you want to take it? Yeah, we're a storytelling platform. Okay. Um, and precisely a storytelling platform rooted in reality. We tell real stories. We're 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 right creating documentaries, we're doing profiles, where there's no fictional element to what we do. We're not trying to shape your perception right you know through what we think your prejudice is we're just showing you what's around us because the stories are so good and they're and they're so beautiful and people need to hear this story right nobody is telling these stories yeah i mean you i'm sold let's let's watch an episode let's do now it. like let's <laughs> turn off this podcast and go like watch an episode well who was your favorite story like was there somebody that touched you uh, in a certain way and you felt, you know, just that is a really proud moment for you as you tell these stories. Because look, as a person who has been having this podcast over the past, you know, 49 episodes, we said just before you came on, 49, one more to 50. Um, You know, there's some certain episodes I come across and I feel super proud that I got this person to say their story on this podcast. You know what I mean? Um, Is there a person in particular that you thought of that what really moved you in a way where you could, you know, you gave them that platform and they could tell their stories to an audience that they couldn't have before. That's, that's the thing, Basil. It's like, yes, there are, there's more than one. There's right. so many of them, all of them. Mm. Because whether it's the profiles and the short content that we create on the Wamina platform or whether it's the show Momentum, on Momentum, we had a 19-year-old entrepreneur, college student entrepreneur, mm-hmm. who traveled for the first time out of her country to be part of this program by herself. English is her third language. She's oh, wow. from Morocco. Um, was too shy to speak, was holding back in all of the workshops, had to pitch solo in English in front of investors and killed it. Wow. I saw her evolve in two weeks and then in two months and then in the last two weeks, she she grew and her team members whose visas were denied ended up seeing this whole new person arrive back and I saw that change, you know. That's I've cool. seen I've seen really I mean women that gave up everything that they had that were that were running on debt make incredibly difficult decisions. Mm. But all of those decisions were for the benefit of their business because they care so much and they don't want they're so passionate that they're willing to harm themselves and their stability in order to make this this happen. Yeah. And I see them doubt themselves and rely on others and all of a sudden they're growing and no, now they're capable of making their own decisions and they're straight up calling themselves, like calling people out and just being the bosses that I know that they can be. Mm-hmm. I had, I, we told a story on Wamina, on the Wamina channel. Um, we told an incredible story about these two women in their very late 70s and 80s now. And they have a nonprofit based in Lebanon called IRAP. Um, and it's, it started off as a school for the hearing impaired. Mm. Now, these two women, one is a nurse and one is a nun. 
They started this company 58 years ago. Sorry, they started this nonprofit 58 years ago during the civil war in Lebanon or right before the civil war in Lebanon. And there was no facilities for people with hearing issues in Lebanon at the time. They went to France. They heard about these new trainings. They took courses. They were trained. They came back. They started offering some services, whatever they could. And they realized that they needed to build a school. So they started selling little things here and there that they were making hampers and cookies and cards and things like that on the side of the street. They would pull up their car and you'd see this beautiful, sweet nun, 30-year-old nun. Hustling. Hustling. <laughs> not hustling, just coming up and they're saying, oh, Sitna, you know, what are you selling today? And can I help you? And can I support you? And, you know, 58 years later, these this school is now not just a school. It's an entire community that, edu- that first of all, um, employs the students who are who graduate from their school so it's a full campus wow for children with with hearing deficiencies um with specialists it's a boarding school so the kids can also live there stay there um the people they make money to run the school wow. they're completely stable they make money to run the school based on baked goods <coughs> home craft chocolates um, the most amazing seasonal baskets for Christmas and things like that. They make bank. Like That's... they may, they've been able to develop, first of all, an entire area in the mountains of Lebanon now that goes into production of goods that are then sold to fund the school, to give scholarships, to board these students. Every dime that they make goes back into the development of this community. And they, ha- and they, then employed women from the community that didn't have jobs. Wow. That were previously unemployable. So the, every, every, all of the cookies are handmade. All the chocolates are handmade. If a woman doesn't have a skill, they teach her. Mm. The crafts. Every, the crafts are made. They're sewn. You're, they, they, they have taken people that were on the streets. They just want help. They saw an entire community once that was homeless. They ended up giving them, not just donating blankets, but they actually created a factory that helps sew pillows and clothings. And they sell those and they now have them in supermarkets. If you're in Lebanon, if you're in Beirut and you're a listener in Beirut, you can go buy Iraq cookies and frozen goods and kibbe and chocolates and hampers and bibs for your baby and pillows. And you know that every single dollar that goes into that, to, to, that, that you contribute goes into making that community bigger. They're literally there to help. And this story has not been told. Wow. That's insane. I don't know how we convince them to tell us the story. Um, it's they've been around for fifty eight years. That's so cool. They're very um, weary of press and coverage. Yeah, and they let us into their their home, their hearts. Ah, they have the most amazing stories, really, really. And and they, it's it's all self perpetuating and it's all sustainable. And the age of startups and NGOs and donations and raising funding and startups with hundreds of millions of dollars raised that can't even monetize. You have these two women and their amazing family and community and team Mm. that are managing to make such a difference, such an impact and be completely sustainable without having to go for donations. Like that is a story that I was so excited to tell. That is pretty insane. Actually, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Like that's a really good answer. Like right there. Yeah. Like, yeah. A nun and a nurse. <laughs> a nun so and a you nurse graduates from MIT and Harvard and Stanford. <laughs> you have no excuse 
for not being able to monetize your business and being sustainable. Well, so that's 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 the that's difficult though, right? I mean, so for example, you're looking at you know you're just saying that you're talk you're talking about a media business, right? And the media business is a cutthroat business, right? Like it's so hard to monetize media because you, first you need to acquire critical mass of people who are interested in your content over and over and over and over and over again. So uh, some people have to prove themselves once to build a, a scalable business, right? Whereas if you're in media, no, nah, if you ha- have one hit, you have to do that one hit 10 more times. And when you do it 10 more times, you have to do it 10 more times and 10 more times and 10 more times. You have to always get those hundreds of thousands of people to keep engaging in your content. So it's difficult. It's, it's such a difficult environment or a difficult startup to build. You know, I, I, I love I love media. I love media, and that's why I want to talk to you about it. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm holding back. I disagree. Please, please tell me. I tell think me what it you think. is easier than ever. Cool. Okay. To find your tribe. Okay. It is easier than ever to build an audience. Okay. And I knew that the Wamina community was so unique, and they are linked through values. The Wamina community are people who believe in the betterment of society. They believe in equal opportunity and equal rights. Mm. And that passion means that I don't care where you're from, what you like to do on your weekends, what job you have, what socioeconomic class you're in, but you're linked through a value system. And that's amazing. Why? Because it means they're very engaged. It means they care in your content. You're not actually competing for content. I'm not a Cosmo or a Vogue or an Elle that is just a fashion magazine showing people beautiful pictures. Mm. I'm a storytelling platform telling a story to a community that needs to hear that story, right. that lives that story and that strives to to be a story in the world. Mm. And nobody has given them that recognition before. And it's perpetual. So YouTubers who started two years ago can amass 13, 14, 15 million followers in mm. two years. Right. Look at James Charles. Right. You know who that is? I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember, but I'm not sure. He's a male beauty blogger okay. on YouTube. Cool, cool. Okay, he does the most amazing contouring, highlighter, full beauty videos. Right. No idea what that is. Okay. <laughs> okay. Ten years ago, yeah. you would have never thought that there would be a space... First of all, that there would be beauty bloggers to such a degree that there is, but that a beauty blogger and a beauty vlogger would be a young teenage boy. He's one of the most followed people on YouTube right now. He went to, uh, as an influencer, he was invited to open a store in some random place in the UK. He shut down the town. 8,000 people showed up to the shopping mall, unprecedented, ended up causing a traffic jam that blocked the entire city. He's not even 21. Damn. I feel I feel old. I mean, I got light. Dude, no that it's is. so amazing. <laughs> mm. And because of the democratization of the internet and this platform, he was able to find his tribe. And it turns out his tribe is way bigger than people realize. Right. So media in its conventional sense in my father's day is very difficult to monetize. You had ads, you had subscriptions. Mm. That was it. Well, isn't it kind of the same today? I no. mean, now? Yeah. Are you kidding me? I mean, now what? you have ads, you have banners. So that kind of stuff. You have branded content. You have product placement. You have events. You have um, activations. 
But for me, that all falls under the umbrella of you ads. Have- Giveaway, but it's it's not ads. There are different kinds of ads. These are all different types of monetizational, monetizing elements. Right. You know, um, I can make videos and get them monetized on YouTube or Facebook, and that's just ads. Within that same and that and before that used to be it, and every time someone clicks subscribe button, for example, you get a dollar. Mm. Right. That's how it used to be. You had that or that. Now, okay, you have the mid rolls and the pre rolls in your videos. You can monetize from that. You can monetize from the per- number of people that follow you. You can also monetize from the fact that every I'm doing a makeup tutorial video and for every single element of makeup that I'm showing you, if that's a L'Oreal mascara, if that's a Maybelline eyeliner, if that's a NYX uh, lip gloss, if that's a highlighter from Urban Decay, I am getting paid from every single one of those brands. That's true. Yeah. Every single one of those brands. If I, at the end of the video, I do, by the way, guys... I just want to thank you so much for helping me get to 10,000 followers. We're going to do a giveaway. I'm giving a free pair of Ray-Ban glasses. Right. All you have to do is follow me and follow this and whatever. That is a paid-for ad campaign. Then that person, what what does that person do? That person then goes and does an in-person appearance. Mm. They do an in-person appearance. They come to Dubai. They get a a theater. Uh, They take a, a theater space. They sell tickets. Right. They go to Do Arena, for example. They can actually fill Do Arena. It turns out 8,000 people show up for J. Charles. 8,000 people show up for an influencer. That's ticket sales. Then you can sell merch at the events. That's merchandising sales. Mm. Then what you talk about on stage, what makeup you do on stage, that's another revenue stream. Then that person comes out with a book or that media publication comes out with a book. The Wall Street Journal just published an incredible book called A Billion Dollar Whale. That's revenue generation for them. You think Wall Street Journal makes any money? That's a good point. <laughs> look, look, it's all good points. I just, what I'm thinking is. Maybe it's the Washington a, Post, not the Wall Street Journal. Uh oh. Well, I mean, they both have subscription models and they both have. Look, you're right, absolutely. Uh, I think it's just the clutter of video has become so big today. It, there's so much offering of video. Mm-hmm. And I think if we take a step back. With the customization of the algorithm is more... You mean verticals, right? So like what kind of verticals you're going into in terms of to build these type of audience, which I agree. No, I mean, as an audience member. As an audience member, My content yeah. feed is catered to my taste. Right, right. So you are a new media company or video, video content creator and you put a video out. If you study, you tag the right things, you can get into algorithms, you can get into favored playlists and suggested playlists of an audience that wants to see your content. Mm. Whereas if you're a publishing or a traditional media company before, right? what do you have? You have distribution and circulation, but it's so manual and there's no way to know that if the, the people sitting in the lobby of the Ritz are ever going to actually go and try your travel company. You know, you don't know that. Whereas now, not only if I tag well and I, I can bring on the right person, you had Slash. You had Slash on your podcast, dude. Good times. When you had Slash <laughs> on your podcast. Me and good old Slash. You don't have to spend any money promoting the video of Slash. People knew right. Slash was on your podcast. People who are fans of Slash, all of a sudden it pops up in their feed somewhere that there's this new episode that he participated in and then they're introduced to your show. You can also boost now. You can pay a little bit. You That's end up true. boosting. You increase circulation. Before, you couldn't do that. Traditional media doesn't do that. That's true. That's true. I think for me, it's the way I look at it is because, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I work with media a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and I think about the, the it's the content that's it's very important, but it's also the distribution of that content is even equally important. You know what I mean? Like knowing where to put that content and knowing how to build certain groups of people who will be interested in your content. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that Wamina does really well is that you've put a message out there that's very clear. You know, this is for this type of person and this type of person enjoys this type of content. Therefore, it's, it's, I want, I don't want to say easy because nothing is easy, right? But it's, um, it's clearer for them why they could take value out of your content. You know, it's super clear if I uh, subscribe to the Womina page or the Momentum page, I can get valuable content that I know speaks to me and what I enjoy. And I think that's the type of content that now cuts through the clutter. You know, that's that's the kind of content. Exactly. Yeah, that's the kind of content that I think cuts through the clutter. Exactly. And I do believe, I mean, for people who are listening to and who want to get into media and so on, I believe building verticals is very important. So, you know, if you're into biking, let's say biking, yeah. it's so important that you focus on biking, you know, and and build that biking audience. If you're into video games, then do video games really well and people are going to come and they're going to watch your video gaming yeah. content. And I think that's what Wamina, Wamina did that really well. You know, do that you, you guys... understand success in the media space right now, in the content space, is so easy I would not if use you the work easy hard word. enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you have to work hard, work but hard. if you work hard, it will come. Right. There's no way that if you work hard and you study and you learn the tips and tricks, which are all available, people are, there's no secret. Everyone is sharing the tips and tricks of how to be successful in the space. Mm. If you understand that and you work hard and you're consistent and you're persistent, you will be successful. Yeah. Your vertical thing is so right. Facebook even is focusing on communities, linking people are parts of True. these different bubbles. So yes, I'm into fashion, but I'm also into music. And what kind of music? I'm into hip hop and I'm into Motown and I'm into funk and I'm probably not into techno, so I'm not going to be pitch this. And they can tell that maybe I have more liberal perspectives. And my Facebook now links to my WhatsApp, which links to my Instagram, which links to my Netflix, which links to my I don't know what. And all of this data and this content means that it's, again, it's easier than ever when you do your work right and you're consistent and you're honed in on your vertical to reach an audience that you want to reach. Right. There are Instagram accounts with millions of followers, hundreds of thousands of followers that do one thing. They unbox. They do ASMR. The ASMR, yeah. Okay. It's <laughs> the weirdest they, thing. <laughs> so yeah. um, they, Symmetry Breakfast is one of my favorite Instagram accounts of all time. Mm. It's the most amazing guy. Every single day, he makes breakfast for his partner and they, he photographs his breakfast mm. or he buys breakfast or whatever. And the breakfast is just Photographed in a symmetrical way. You yeah. go to his page, the only pictures that he posts are of a breakfast, different breakfast every day, symmetrically. It's beautiful. It's clear. It's the only thing that he posts. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. it. That's all I want to see. It's very clear. Exactly. It's because the proposition of the content is super clear. Like, I know what I'm getting out of this page. And one thing that I uh, face out of this podcast, a challenge, a huge challenge for me in the podcast, is because my topics are super diverse is that sometimes I catch the rock guy, for example, once every like 10 episodes. You know what I mean? I catch the women entrepreneur, whatever, like once every, you know, maybe five or 10 episodes because I had you once a year ago. I had uh, 
when Rana women Nawaz. win, Nawaz as well on Furka, you know, once. And so that I find is a challenge, and I'm trying to hone it down to a clear, um, a clear proposition, which is interesting conversation, valuable, interesting conversations for people to listen to and to take value. Of. And that's what I think the, the 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 trick with media is: is don't be too broad. To be try to focus on what you do best and keep building on what you yeah. do best, you know? And there's two types of content creators right now. There's people who create a type of content in a vertical that's outside of themselves, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's a, it's a right. separate piece of content that's not them. Right. There is the other ones who are the vloggers, the daily influencers. They don't right. even have to be fashion. They're just people who share every single aspect of their life, mm. who overshare, who openly share with the world. And so as a consumer... We either follow pages we like because of the content that's created, or we follow people we like because we just want to know about those people. Right. That's true. That's very true. Right? So you're you're following a person or you're following like a magazine or a, right. or a, a product. Right. It's a person or a product. And traditional media, paid subscriptions, it costs people money to look at your content. Right. It costs them something to make that decision. Whereas for us, how many how many times do you follow an account every week or do you unfollow? You follow, you unfollow. It's, a, it's transitory. For every followers you lose, you gain two, you lose one, you gain three, you lose two. You, you know, it, it kind of goes back and forth and it costs them nothing to follow you. Right. And well, that's another thing, right? Because content now is super free. Yes. And then, <clears throat> and that's another problem with for content creators. So everything we've conditioned that all this content should be free because it's on YouTube. It's free. I mean, I guess Netflix and a few others ha- are now charging for content, but well, they and also YouTubers. For example, you monetize now on Facebook and YouTube. You monetize. You can on your videos. for sure, but it's difficult for content creators such as us, you mm-hmm. know, um, to to ask for a subscription model right now because it's like, hey, you know. Again, what you put out there for free from Joe Rogan. You know, why do I need to pay you money? You know what I mean? Like that's so it's almost become a thing where it's free now. Like content is free, and now you not you need to find other ways to make money out of your. But content. this is not new. The music not, industry yeah. took a huge hit because all of a sudden people want their music for free, myself included. Right. Right. And my brother's a music producer, right. so I know how unfair that is. That his fans expect him to consistently put out music on SoundCloud for free that they can download and listen to and play and he doesn't touch royalties or any like he works hard for nothing because the only way that you're able to make money out of music or out of content is for exclusive elements Mm. right so you never want to charge your consumer now that's not a thing there's third-party platforms that charge your consumer right so I don't charge my consumer, but there's an ad, there's a mid-roll and a pre-roll in my right. video, so I am making money off of it, but they don't have to actively pay, just their viewership is payment enough, for example, or that's what I realized. It is currency, you're right. I mean, it is a, view a is a currency. So I knew that, for example, the old Wamina business model was a terrible business model. It mm. totally failed. Um, but I knew that if you own an audience, you have a community which I'm so happy to say Wamina does. We have an incredible community of people, again, linked on shared values, that I know will show up to an event when, we're, when they're invited, even if we've never been to that city before. Right. That's where the money lies. Yeah, you pack a house when you... It's, uh... even a, it's a free event. I would never... I, I don't want to charge my audience. Yeah. But other people will pay me show up to to show up and to bring that audience yeah 
And what's amazing is I then have more control over it because I'm the content creator. So somebody pays me to speak because they know that I might attract a different type of audience to come to the event. I still get to talk about whatever I want to talk about. I still get to be honest and real with the people that are supportive enough to come and and show up and share, Mm. right? So as a person, I'm not looking to take advantage of the audience. I just want, I, I build that audience because I'm finding my tribe. And then the money doesn't come from the audience anymore. We're not taking advantage of the consumer. We're taking advantage of the bigger right the advertisers, the commodities the, yeah. that are able to, you know, subsidize. Sorry, it's all right. I just hit the mic. Nothing happened. Oops. Nothing I get happened. very like physically yeah. expressive when I talk. <laughs> you can and see that. as I'm saying that, I'm also realizing that you're filming this entire session. So this is going to be a big <laughs> firework display for the. Uh, and I think this viewers. is a very interesting part to put out there. Uh, do you, what do you think of, and I, I, I can see that we're closing in on the hour, but uh, I wanted to ask you this, this is, I think this is very important. Um, wow, so we're 59 minutes in. Uh, I think there's a big chunk you can cut out. No, nah, it's like, it's not even a minute. So I don't know if you've heard, but uh, Instagram, Facebook and mm-hmm. Instagram and, and all these people, uh, companies, they were talking about removing likes from their platforms. So the the, the consumer-facing likes, they want to remove them from their platforms. They want to remove the number of likes. The number of likes, exactly. So, so for example, Elisa puts out a, a post, and usually, let's say, you get 500 likes on a, on a, on a photo. Now, it's just going to say, um, you know, Brendan, Basil, uh, and whatever, Dana liked your post. But then it doesn't tell you how many people liked posts as a, as a viewer. What do you think of that approach? I think as long as the content creator gets the data so they can know what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. Right. Um, honestly, I'm not too bothered by it. I, I have to say I, I like that. You know why? Because it removes the vanity element of content. Yes. It becomes not about, well, Elisa gets 500 likes per picture or... 10,000 views per video. Oh, she must be some really like, just focus on the numbers. Guys, just focus on the numbers. It becomes more about, well, what's Elisa actually talking about? You know, like, mm-hmm. and the, the quality of content that she's putting out there, it stops becoming about how many likes it becomes about the quality of the content. And I think if the tech companies actually do this move, I think, I think it could mean so much more than, just the numbers, it becomes more about the quality of the conversation. I think it really helps fix society in general, that we become less vanity and more about quality. I don't know what, what you yeah, think about that. Yeah, less quantity, more quality. I completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. I'm worried uh-huh. the day this happens, and I really hope it does happen, but the day this happens, there will be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that are going to feel immense emotional distress. Distress, really? Have you, there are reaction videos. I beg anyone to go on YouTube right now uh-huh. to watch reaction videos of people who find out that their Instagram got deleted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they yeah. got suspended from a platform. But it's like where, I said, if you have your back end numbers, then it should be fine. Like if, because you think about it, Snapchat doesn't show you how many people watched your video. Like if I see a video from you on Snapchat, I can't tell how many people watched your video. Yes. But, but you on the back end can tell. 100%. Yeah. Uh, but I think so many people have now linked their value directly right. Right. to the numbers that are displayed 
on their social media. Very true. And so they seek validation, not even for themselves, but to shove the validation in the faces of people who make them feel insecure. That's right. And to not have those likes in front of people is really going to hurt right. individuals. Hopefully it will help them heal in the longer term. But I know in the short term, people are going to freak <laughs> out. And honestly, there's an element of it perpetuates itself. So sometimes, you know, you're scrolling on your feed and you see something that has 2 million views you wouldn't have otherwise stopped. Mm. And yet... That's true. You yeah. stop because you're like, oh, wow, wow, this got 2 million? What is yeah. it? And then it's like a cow laughing. But then like that's what I'm thinking. Is it a lot of garbage content out yes. there? You know what I mean? Like too many people watch this because they saw the two million number. They're like, well, what the fuck is this? Well, let me watch this. And it's like a cow laughing. It's like, oh well, I just wasted five seconds of my time on this. You know what I mean? And also if I think about a traditional um broadcasting, you know, um when you had the Oscars on, for example, yeah. it would never say how many people were actually watching right now. You just kind of knew that everybody was watching the Oscars, the Oscars right now. You know what I mean? And I think if we go back to that type of model, it becomes, I don't know, I just think it becomes better for us as, a, as people, as a society, that we don't really need to keep comparing each other, you know, to, you know, how many numbers did Basil get versus how many numbers did at least I get, you know what I mean? Like, it just, it feels like we eliminate that and we can always share data with each other. We can always say like, well, this video got 50,000 views and blah, blah, blah. And, and you can almost always back it up because it's in the back end, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, there's so many elements to this though yeah. because you have to also realize again YouTube I love the platform of YouTube yeah me I, too I really like Instagram also I like Facebook for different things but YouTube is really unique because there is very much a YouTube community right there are people who are consumers of YouTube content who are so emotionally ingrained in the stories developing through all the other YouTubers. Because mm. these YouTubers have channels, they have vlogs, they have Twitch channels, they follow them as they grow up, as they get into relationships, as they get married, as they have kids. They That's true. talk about the content, they'll have debates very heavily. And this is something that Facebook is really trying to grow. Also community, different communities, right? Mm. More um, smaller focused communities is yeah. Facebook's new effort. But YouTube is like the YouTube community, you know, the VidCon that's community. true. And everybody wants to be a part of that. Everybody wants <laughs> to be know? a part of that. But one of the really key elements of this is the like and the dislike button. Mm. It's not the, it's not an overall, but it's very important because after views, which is the highest number that you're ever going to see, the mm. second highest in, is in the engagement level is likes. Mm. How many people are willing to click like or dislike? After that, you get comments. How many people are willing to comment? So each one is a more intense way of engaging. And the likes and the dislikes are very interesting for people because they might not scroll through the comments, but they might see that, yes, this video got 10 million views, but 37,000 dislikes and only 2,000 likes. Right. So most people actually watched it because it was controversial, disagreed with the content, and went in the comments to have a debate. Right. As opposed to, wow, this has so many views, people must love it. Right. It helps you understand the content. So. I like data. I love data. Yeah. So I want as much data as possible mm-hmm. so it doesn't affect my life. But I'm curious to see how it's going to continue to affect the consumer's life. I think Jack Dorsey, Twitter CEO, um, he was saying that one of the things that he didn't like about the platform today was, or one of his regrets, I guess, was, I'm, I'm not sure what the quote was, but he was saying that the like button was one of the 
things that he wanted to remove from the mm-hmm. platform. Uh, and he thought that it really downgraded the quality of the conversation on Twitter. And people were just sort of like pressing that like button to sort of like give a, you know, just like a, it's an almost like an impulse thing. Yeah, like an acknowledgement thing rather than engage and have a conversation with people. And he was saying that one, that's one of the things that I think moving forward he was saying he wanted to remove from Twitter or something like that. Or some of the things that he didn't like about the platform. Which is interesting. I mean, it's interesting that these tech CEOs are talking about this. And this is something that they recognize kind of um, had some kind of decay in the conversation in general. You know, and Completely. Is- We're all seeing this. There is a, a kind of disintegrating emotional human element to the way that we interact. Yeah. It's been happening right. slowly and slowly and slowly since Facebook started, since MySpace started. Um, since High Five and Bebo started back five, in 2003. Man. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, of course. High Five? I was, I was on High Five. Um, so testimonials. When, <laughs> t- testimonials and little badges. And but And that was it. Like, your interactions were very superficial. High Five is a great example. It was a social network back in 2013. Um, and it was completely anonymous. So you could get testimonials from people who would claim that you're a good person, or you're a bad person, or they would admit their crushes to you because I was in middle school. So it, just say whatever, basically, on your quote-unquote wall. Mm. Um, and, and that's so heartless. Like, there's no actual human interaction with that. And they would give you badges, and they put you on a label as someone who's friendly or happy right. or whatever. And That's where it all started. That's, it's where all <laughs> of this stuff started, was on these very two-dimensional, gamified, weird egotistical, selfish, introspective things, as opposed to open dialogue and conversation. I think as these tech CEOs grow up Mm. and they realize within their own lives that the most valuable and important relationships that they have are those with people in front of them, they realize that they're not actually facilitating that for the wider community. And hopefully some of them have souls so that they're... (laughs) they're actively trying to make the world a little bit better and rectify some of the earlier oversights of right. their technology. Well, Elisa Freha, you are <laughs> an awesome guest. Thank you. I have to say that <laughs> you're always fun to talk to. Thank you so much. You always have a lot of fiery energy. I appreciate it. You and, do too. Uh, yeah, well, I'm feeding off of it. I'm an empath. I think that's what's happening here. Like there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a what do you call it? A, a current of energy oh happening God, in this room. Totally yeah. So uh, thank you so much for coming back on the pa- podcast. I know uh, you're a busy woman. You were camping last night somewhere in Oman or something. I'm not sure where in you were. Rasul Khaimah. Rasul there you go. In Wadi. In Wadi. I personally hate camping. Oh, my God. Um, I love camping. What? I hate it. Do you know how many stars I saw last night? I'm sure a lot of stars. A lot, a lot of stars. So many stars. You know, it just, I don't so know. So many marshmallows roasting on the fire. I know a lot of people love it, and I, I can understand why, but I hate it. I, I remember I went to a rock festival once, and, uh, and I saw all these people camping. But they were taking, like, they were taking a piss in public, and you know, they were drinking. Did you go to Glastonbury? Just... No, it was uh, it was called <laughs> Rock and Ring in Germany. Okay. It was like a heavy metal festival. You know, Metallica yeah. was headlining. You know, so it was very very excited. It was like the first time for me to see Metallica. So so excited. But uh, but yeah, I couldn't do it. Like I was, just, I saw the campsite. I was like. We are not staying here tonight. There's no way in hell that we're going to stay okay, and sleep here tonight. Okay, but camping is not festival camping. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I guess. I festival guess you're camping right. is like, it's it's the cheapest accommodation for thousands of people that we can just deal with. Here's some land. You guys deal with it yourself. Right. We're lazy as an organizer. We don't want to do it for you. But camping, like real camping, is getting away from lights, from noise pollution and light pollution and, and stresses and 
and toxins and people and just getting back to like quiet. And I can't do, there's nothing better than a beautiful conversation with people and, and a fire right next to you that's crackling and you feel the warmth and a cool breeze coming through and like really just an insane amount of stars over your head because we forget to look up in the city because in that's the city true. there's so much light that when you look up you don't see stars. I think I think you sold it. I need to take you camping, I feel like, dude. I feel like, okay, fine. Maybe I am missing out the way you, the way you described it. I think you would love it. I think I would. I, I think we need uh, to do a, the next Basel Meets. Elisa yeah. needs to be outside, yeah. live. In a campsite. In a campsite. Yeah. Maybe we can get an audience, too. That that would be... No? I don't know. You See, see you're like, so scared of being alone. Yeah. No, not at all. In the <laughs> desert. In the dark. In the dark. <laughs> the conjuring. Away from, <laughs> away from like, your, your showers and your... Like yeah. clean oh, everything. You don't understand. Showers are so important to me. That's it's not even like a thing. I that. will take you and your wife camping the next time you want to have me on this podcast. It is a must. That sounds like a plan. Maybe we will do it. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be live. No, maybe in a do. Okay, the fine. Only we'll thing do it. Is if you ever want me on the show. You know what though? Uh, Amar Noor, because I know you guys were hanging out, right? Yes. It was you and Amar, and I he was, was on the podcast. So he's a fantastic, phenomenal he says hi, human by being. The way. So good, I love that yeah, man. He says hi. Uh, so he was telling me like, "Yo, we need to go camping," and I was like, "Yeah, we definitely need to go camping," but I never took him up on that offer. So maybe you next should. time it'll be Amar Noor, Elisa Freha, you know, like be maybe Brendan as well. You said you just liked. Uh, Can we do a campfire <laughs> side chat? Yeah, we could do a campfire side chat. We could get microphones and everything. We can make it happen. I'm sure. See, seeing the, you're like scared a little bit, but I'm, I'm so into this idea. We're gonna make it happen, people. I'm not. I'm, I'm, we're gonna make it happen, Elisa. Thank you, you so much. One hour, you. twelve minutes. We're not gonna cut anything out of this podcast. Even the technical difficulties. Nothing. We're gonna keep the technical difficulties okay. in there. If you guys reach till the end, then thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. What was that? A same. What was it? Called? This has been Basil Meets special ASMR video with Elisa. <laughs> Don't you have like to tap the microphone or something? Yeah, there you go. All right, cool. <laughs> okay, I think I think you picked it up. Do you want? Yeah, popcorn. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you.